The production of Homeland sparks controversy within the theater department. A new proposal could release student debt. A look into the shooting on Ida B. Wells Drive. Go ask what Columbia looks like! This is what Columbia looks like! Published since 1973. I'll give my life for this cause, and I will die for this cause. This is Chronicle Headlines. For our first story today, Kendall and I are joined with Alexandra Yetter, staff reporter for The Chronicle, to talk about her story, Homeland. Hello, Alexandra. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, no problem. So can you tell us a little bit about your story? Yeah, so basically there was this play that Columbia students and um, faculty members put on at Columbia, and it's about some of the real journeys that Chicago immigrants faced when they came from Latinx and Palestinian countries, and it shows uh, the difficulties of you know, immigrating to America and that sort of stuff. And then what happened is I went to this event where the cast members spoke with different DEI clubs at Columbia about some issues behind the scenes with the director. Mm-hmm. And what were some of those issues? So it was a number of things. The biggest issue was that the director casted white actors and actresses in some of the Latinx and the Palestinian roles. Um, And then they also mentioned things like the director, Catherine Slade, saying racially insensitive comments toward them, like Palestinian people all being white anyway, or she tried to um, change the play to make it very stereotypical and um, insensitive. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, did any of did you talk to any of like the people that were cast in the play? Yeah, so the event was with I think it was like five or six of the Latinx cast members, and then they just spoke with like the Muslim Student Organization, the um, Mosaic Theater Collective, the Black Student Union. Um, and what did like the casted members kind of say how they felt? Um being cast in a role that they knew wasn't really the true role. So none of the white actors were actually there. Um, I'm not sure why, but the Latinx characters that were there said that um, they felt very disrespected in some cases because, you know, like a lot of them had family members or friends who were immigrants, so they connected very deeply to these stories, and to have them played by people who weren't necessarily um, as representative wasn't um, very great. Now, did the director come to this meeting? No, she was not there. And did she say any reason as to why? mm, (laughs) She did not. The Chronicle is attempting to get a written statement. I um, originally had an interview set up with her, but the news office intervened. So we're still in the process of trying to get a statement from her. Mm -hmm. So what were some conversations that you had with some of these cast members? Some of the things that they mentioned both in the meeting and then when I talked to them one-on-one afterwards were that even though the director saw some of these insensitive comments and 
gave them a lot of difficulties when they were um, when they approached her throughout the production of the show to like try and change some of the things that she was doing. Um, they still said that at the end of the day, they didn't judge her as a woman um, because Catherine Slade is a uh, black African-American woman. They didn't judge her because they don't know her story. And they also said that they did, it wasn't all bad moments. Like they had some good moments. I know they talked about um, like pre-show dance parties the night before uh, a show happened. And um, one of the cast members I spoke to said that when her, um, or no, she was a crew member, when her mom came to see the show, she actually cried when she saw the show because she felt so connected to the stories. So a lot of them, even though they expressed the challenges and difficulties with Catherine Slade, they said that the show was something that they were proud of in the end. Now, you said other organizations came through, such as the Muslim Student Association, Black Student Union, and more. Um, what were their contributions to this meeting? It was more of a, um, when I walked in, it felt more like a therapy session for the cast members. The uh, student unions that were there felt very open to hearing things and to asking questions and making sure that these students felt heard. Mm-hmm. And do you think that they got what they wanted? The cast members? Yes. I think so. They they looked very relieved and as if they had found a sense of community by the end of the meeting. And um, while you were reporting on this story, did you find out if, you know, a reason why the director cast white students in these roles um, was because of, like, not many people auditioning and she just had to pick whichever one she thought was the best? Mm -hmm. Um, From what I heard from cast members, she had white actors play some of the, like, more ensemble Latinx roles, um, but the main roles of Latinx characters were double-casted, so there were two... Um, just for an example, there were two Latinx people playing a Latinx character when she could have spread it out or opened the audition to other schools or done re-auditions, but she chose not to do any of those. Okay. Why did she choose to do that? To do what? To, like, cast multiple people for the same role? I'm not sure. Mm Mm-hmm. So what are some of the thoughts that the white actors had? I spoke to one white actress who was in the show, and she, I mean, although she didn't experience anything directly from Catherine Slade, uh, she did see and hear about things that were going on on set between the Latino um, cast members. And she was also, she also mentioned to me that during the first read-through, she was one of the people who was there when when Catherine Slade said something along the lines of, um, Latinx and Palestinian people all being white anyway. And she she saw the disrespect between Slade and the cast members, but she mentioned that at the end of the day, all the cast members were very close together. They all had each other's backs. Mm-hmm. But I would like to see the statement from this teacher, actually. If she <laughs> is to send one, that would be a really great statement to read now, wouldn't it, guys? Um, and how long... Have you been trying to get a statement from her? I think that's, like, important. Yeah, yeah so I emailed Catherine Slade directly on Sunday, and we had set up an interview for Tuesday. We were going to talk over the phone about it, and then um, we had the news office um, intercede and offer a written statement 
and that was on Tuesday or right before the interview I'd had scheduled. And then we were supposed to get one on Wednesday. We were supposed to get one on Thursday. It is Friday now. And I'm looking at my email and I still don't see it. Hmm. Well, we hope to see it soon. Now, um, Alexandra, we pretty much asked you the basics of the story. Is there anything that we didn't ask that maybe you think we should talk about here today? I I think the other thing that, just a little thing, was despite all these um, big actions that Slate did, such as like changing lines and casting white actors and um, changing imagery in the show, she also was like disrespectful personally to the actors which they mentioned to me such as um for one um crew member she said that Slade would always call her Mexican even though um she had told the director that she was Colombian and she just they all felt disrespected on such personal levels Mm -hmm. well we hope to see the statement soon well thank you Alexandra for coming in today yeah thanks for having me that's all for this story but stay tuned for more And now on to our next story with managing editor Blaze Mesa to talk about Elizabeth Warren's proposal. Yeah, so her proposal, I want to say, is simple, but it's also kind of not. It's an all-encompassing kind of large student debt um, cancellation relief policy. A couple other candidates in the Democratic uh, nomination for president that race have proposed similar ideas. So when I'm talking, you may be like, oh, I've kind of heard that before, but... Um, first and foremost, it's going to try and cancel $50,000 of student debt for any person in America making $100,000 or less, like a household income. Um, and the more you make over 100000 this is where it gets a bit tricky, so I'm going to have to read kind of directly from her, her thing. But for every $3 earned over $100,000, $1 of forgiveness will be like phased out or canceled. So if you're making $130,000 a year, or the household income is $130,000 a year, you are only eligible for $40,000 of relief as compared to someone who makes 100000 or less and would get $50,000. Does that make sense? It makes sense, yeah. Okay, yeah. It's no. just a lot of numbers. Yeah, that one kind of confused me too. Um, there are also other factors, like if you make $250,000 or more, like that household income, uh, you will get no relief. Um, the program, she's proposing funding it through a 2% tax on like the super ultra millionaire type people, that uh, upper 2% income tax. And it also covers a couple other things, like it does plan to make college free one day, so that way this problem doesn't happen again, or the, the, she doesn't want the student debt problem to happen again. Um, but she estimates it will cancel 75% of American student loan debt and um, at least help 95% of Americans. The 95%, not all of their debt will be canceled, but she has at least 75% of their debt for of Americans being canceled. It would also make a fund to help uh, historically back black colleges and Latinx population people get to, to school. It will also, I'm trying to remember, there's a lot of things. It will also, um, usually when you hear about these plans, free school, debt forgiveness, stuff like that, it really only applies to federal student loans. This one even applies to private loans. So if you took out stuff from Sally Mae or something like that, that will also be forgiven or canceled. Uh, and it's like a no-strings-attached type thing. So that's why some people kind of are, are buzzing uh, after hearing the proposal. 
Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that there are similar proposals and ideas. Um, can you talk a little bit about those? I know the one that comes to everyone's mind is probably Bernie Sanders giving everyone free college, but that's usually what candidates propose. And I was talking to a source who's like, you know, a lot of people have been talking about free college, but this is one of the plans and programs that are like, if you're in college now, I can help you. Like this plan will cancel debt for really anyone. Like for example, we're already in college. And if you're listening to this, you may be in college already. So free college, by the time that gets implemented, when Congress votes on it and all that stuff, you may have graduated. So maybe like, well, I missed kind of that, that gravy train of free college and I'm stuck with my debt. And this is one of the proposals that differs from every other candidate. Right. And a lot of people will say free college, but how exactly will they make college free? Mm -hmm. At least in Elizabeth Warren's proposal, I do know it's the 2% tax. It all kind of stems from that tax of ultra millionaires, um, like the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world. At mm -hmm. least I'm assuming since there's anyone richer than him, I think I'd freak out. But kind of taxing those people could essentially fund her plan. Mm -hmm. So you said over 100000 can you explain it again? There was um, a little bit of a confusion. Oh yeah, okay. There. So if you make a hundred thousand dollars or less, fifty thousand dollars, your debt is just canceled. No, no strings attached. No two ways about it. But for every three dollars you earn over, one dollar of forgiveness will be forgotten. If that makes sense. So if you make a hundred thirty thousand dollars a year, you'll only get forty thousand dollars of debt. It's like a it's a ratio that keeps going up and up and up until you get to $250,000 a year where you're no longer eligible for student relief or that cancellation. Mm -hmm. So sh she says hopefully 75% of Americans mm -hmm. will. Yeah, according to her estimations, that should just wipe out 75% of Americans' debt, and then it should impact 95% of Americans. And how does that work, though? With uh, their debt? Yes. Like, how does it cancel out, or how should you get those numbers? Both. Well, I think she got the numbers probably through FAFSA or something, but the way it would cancel it out is through an automatic system. Um, according to the article, for most Americans is what it says. It didn't get too much more specific, but cancellation will automatically take place using data already available to the federal government about income and outstanding debt. So it sounds like through FAFSA and whatever system they use to track it, uh, I'm not exactly sure because it could be through Nelnet or through some of the, the providers that we have, but I couldn't find anything more on it. But it is automatic for most Americans. If it were to go through, right now it's just a proposal, you wouldn't have to click a box or worry about anything. It would just happen. So what are some um, underlying issues people may have with this proposal? Yeah, so I was kind of scoping around through Twitter. Everyone I spoke to was pretty happy with the program because they're all in college and they all have debt still. But some of the people I found upset on social medias were older people who had already paid off their debt. And they're like, how is this fair to me? I've paid everything off. I agreed to the debt. I knew I had to pay it off. And now you're just going to forgive them? So there was some of that skepticism. And then Pete Buttigieg, I think that's how you say his last name, the presidential candidate from South Bend, liked the program but he wanted to check the math or whatever he said on cnn's town hall but basically make sure it could be properly funded by warren's tax so what were the reactions of some of your sources so i mentioned there was some skepticism but not from the people i spoke to now i spoke with someone from student debt crisis or some sort of they were an advocacy group working to reform student debt they were when i called them they're like sorry we gotta go we're you know, lobbying for something in California. I'm like, oh, 
interesting. Okay, you do that. But um, from him, an expert source, and then two students I spoke to, both said that this could open up educational opportunities like graduate school or maybe taking more classes. Uh, one student I spoke with was an illustration major, and he said, you know, I'm considering grad school, but, like, there's a lot of money and all this stuff, but if $50,000 were to be canceled, it wouldn't make up my mind to go to grad school, but it would certainly help, and it would, in a way, be part of the deci deciding factor is what he ended up telling me. I also spoke with, that, that was Philly Irvine, and I also spoke with Ian Devitt, who was an audio design major let me double check that junior audio design and production major who wasn't considering grad school but he said because he has thirty thousand dollars of debt he said if that was all canceled he would spend six months and just create an audio doc because he wouldn't have to worry about money paying off debt because there really wouldn't be that burden over his head he also said that he may take more classes because uh, you know there's like the cap if you take too many credits you get charged more he said he may take more film classes or try and broaden his horizons, but he just doesn't feel comfortable doing that now because you pay thousands for a class. And if you go over certain credits, you pay thousands more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so with that, was there anything negative said by your sources? Yeah, no, They for the most part, they didn't say anything super negative. Uh, Ian hadn't really read it. Both of them kind of got like a quick, like, here's what it is, and I talked to them about it, but they had nothing negative to say. So now, so um, a big proposal such as this, if it were to be promised to all these students that are in a great amount of debt and then not go through, wouldn't that have like a bad reaction? It could negatively impact some people. Um, you know, trying to get that 2% tax passed may be difficult. I mean, I think we've seen... Elizabeth, or not Elizabeth Warren specifically, but we've, we know that people probably don't like getting taxed too much. So there are some kinks and some things Elizabeth Warren would have to work out to get this going. And I assume this will come up a couple more times on the campaign trail. And she's probably going to promise it. She may or may not, actually, I guess I don't really know. But when it comes up on the campaign trail, a lot of students may be excited. And if it doesn't go through, it may be just anger kind of generally because a lot of students have large amounts of debt that are impacting them but no real end in sight like that she's proposing yeah and from um you know recent elections we can say that you know not everything that's promised on the campaign trail mm -hmm. does in fact happen even if it is attempted to happen um so if this weren't to happen um I'm assuming college students would stop considering grad school and they would stop considering these other plans that they made if debt were to be erased. It would. I don't think it would make people stop considering grad school, but one of the experts I talked to said it definitely could open up those opportunities. It, it really depends person by person whether they're considering grad school or how much debt they have, but this certainly couldn't hurt the cause to go to grad school is what he was saying. Mm -hmm. And... Is there anything else that you'd like to mention about your article before we wrap up here? No, I think that's it. Well, thank you for your time, Blaze. That's all for this story, but stay tuned for more. And now on to our final story with managing editor Molly Walsh to talk about the breaking news that happened on Ida B. Wells Drive this morning. Hey, Molly, tell us what happened. Hi, Yasmeen. Sure. So this morning at around 3.15 a.m., according to police, um, there was a an alleged carjacker was fatally shot. And um, 
yeah, that's kind of the long story short, like kind of the lead for it. But uh, so what happened was apparently a um, man was driving his B- 2015 BMW along um, Ida B. Wells Drive and uh, around or right on the intersection of or like between Clark and Lake on Ida B. Wells Drive. Um, the man was rear-ended by a other man driving a 2019 Volkswagen. And so when the car was rear-ended, he got out to check the damage. And at that point, he went back to go get his cell phone. And that's when the man driving the Volkswagen got out and um, went to... Sorry, I'm pausing. And went to... Um, and demanded for his keys and told him to get in the car. So the two guys, the two men both got in the car and that's when the man that was driving the 2015 BMW uh, has a concealed carry permit and he pulled out a gun and allegedly um, shot the man in the head and he was die- He was pronounced dead later by um, the police, so yeah. Um, could you kind of just explain how you got the information you did and kind of the process of like such a major story like that and having to talk to people for it? Yeah. Um, so I saw, well, I got an email lead from our advisor, Curtis. And so it was kind of, it happened at 3 a.m. And at that point I was honestly sound asleep. And so when I woke up this morning around 6.50 or so, I saw an email from our advisor and that's when I kind of uh, knew that this story had to be um, up and running, ready to go because it was so near to campus um, that the quicker we can get it up, the quicker we can uh, have more people made aware of that and it would just be a, a bigger story then so um, I got into the office and then the first thing I did was email news affairs um, so you have to uh, reach out to news affairs to tell talk to them about uh, they give you kind of like a narrative of what happened which is what I said earlier of just like the events of the instance and um, that's when uh, from there you kind of take that information um, of like the who what when where and why and then uh, we also reached out to safety and security on campus to kind of hear their side of it because uh, a, an alert was not released um, because it's not technically on campus, although near campus. So, um, yeah, so we reached out to them and then I got a student source and uh, we just needed a student reaction because it was something that was so near to campus. I feel like it was something that we wanted to talk to a student on because as a student, I found it strange that even though this wasn't technically on campus, that there wasn't any warning or update because the street was closed, uh, it was gun violence, like there's, there should have been more um, warning to it. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, recently, wasn't there, this is, slightly off topic but recently wasn't there a stabbing in east west university and didn't we get a crime alert email for it yeah i'm pretty sure we got a crime alert for east west university and then in the past and i talk about it in my story but there was a shooting at the jackson red line in december of 2018 and then a shooting at the jackson red line again in i think august or no yeah i think august 2017 so that was two years that there was shootings consecutively in the same area um less than a block away from campus and we weren't given an alert so um something that happened there's like address we have an address the 33 east ida b wells building is on ida b wells drive so the fact that this uh happened 
so near to campus and there wasn't like an alert was just kind of alarming to me and that's why I was like okay we need to get like student insight on this yeah personally I walked on that street every day because I take metro to LaSalle LaSalle Street Station so I wasn't even aware of it until I came into the office this morning because we didn't get an email and that would have you know raised a couple of red flags for myself so I'm glad that now we know. Yeah. Well, I was, yeah, where it occurred, if you go like one block south, there's the Dwight. Basically across the street is the Blue Line LaSalle Station. And then um, up a block, like north and to the right is the Arc. So that's two major dorms on campus, a major commuting uh, route right there and uh again people just like walking by the one student that i interviewed was literally like driving by with her mom because she commutes from the suburbs and was saying that like oh i i drive by there all the time like i walk past there all the time to get to the 33 building so like there needed to be more warning there and do you think this could potentially be something that the chronicle will look into more like what are the designated areas that we would get a security like safety alert yeah, I definitely think that this is a story that will, um, you know, be printed by the Chronicle in the near future. Um, as far as what is designated an on-campus area, it's uh, it really depends. So there's a um, document called the Gene Cleary Disclosure of Campus Security Policy and Campus Crime Statistics Act, um, and that is what kind of designates what is considered on campus versus off campus and what is like an on-campus crime versus something that is uh, just near campus. So that was something that while writing the story, I'd be really careful about. So technically this isn't an on-campus crime because uh, Columbia doesn't own that property. um, So it doesn't, it isn't like designated as an on-campus crime. Uh, The Cleary Act currently requires institutions to report um, when certain things happen. So they have to publish an annual report disclosing three years of crime statistics and campus security policy statements. And there also needs to be timely warnings to the campus community uh, when crimes pose an ongoing threat to students. And so that was something that um, we need to look at in the future of what is considered a timely warning and like what is considered um, posing a threat. Cause like posing a threat can be considered if there's a, uh, a shooter that hasn't been caught on campus, like a gunman. Um, but then it's also, to me, when I think of that poses a threat, it's like, okay, well, wouldn't this have posed a threat if there was, um, you know, someone was shot in the head or there was an alleged carjacking, I feel like that might be a threat, but it's um, it's something that really needs to be dissected, I think, in the future, and I think it makes a better story. Yeah, I, I agree with that, and also, like I said earlier, you know, being a commuter, I came in this morning and I had no idea that this had even happened. I think that mm-hmm. this is something that we should have gotten an email about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, Ariana, our wonderful editor-in-chief, also mentioned that it's something that we should have got a warning about because of commuters, solely because of like the road closing. So Ida B. Wells was closed, I, I think, from State to LaSalle. So... Um, so many people are coming down Ida B. Wells from the suburbs that you would think that there would have been more of a mention, uh, just like almost out of politeness to campus, that this major road is going to be closed off for a reasoning, um, which happens to be this instance that happened at 3 a.m. Now, I'm not sure if you mentioned this, but do you know what time the road reopened? I don't know what time the reopened. It must have... Uh, I don't think it was closed for that long because my source was... Um, 
she was driving in on Ida B. Wells at 6.30 in the morning. So she actually gave me a courtesy photo, and it's from her car, and you could see that the clock says 6.33 a.m. Mm-hmm. So we have, like, an exact time, which is kind of funny. But, um, yeah, so th- at that point, it looks like Ida B. Wells was open uh, eastbound. Mm-hmm. Now, is this a story that we'll be developing periodically? I don't know if it specifically is going to be developed um, from the actual shooting, uh, just because it, it might just be something that will be noted later on in stories that will, when, when we're covering crime alerts or, um, you know, whether this counts as an on-campus crime um, or if something else develops that we find out that is Uh, related to columbia i think that if it was something that happened right outside the 33 east building then yeah it would be something that'd be continuously investigated by the chronicle um i know chicago police are said that it's an ongoing investigation as of like 9 a.m uh this morning so i don't know uh, as far as an ongoing investigation on this specific incident but i think it'll be cited in stories to come um so also one of the difficulties with doing a story that is uh that deals with something like this major and being a college publication and this i think is the same for other places that have to work through like a newsroom or some kind of news affairs but it's difficult uh not being a not having information completely accessible so i wasn't there when the instance happened at 3 a.m and i wasn't there at 6 a.m when the police and ambulance were still there so i couldn't get like the direct quotes from anyone that was there so i had to talk through to the news affairs office at um, Chicago Police Department to get information. And I also, um, because it brought up the question of, okay, well, is this on campus or is this off campus? I also had to work through the college's newsroom. Um, So we weren't able to get a direct quote because uh, our vice associate vice president of safety and security, Ron Sedini, was not available at uh, 10 a.m. this morning um, because it was so last minute. It was a breaking news blurb. So... Yeah, it can be kind of stressful, but um, it's a really interesting story, and I think that it can be a source for other really interesting stories to come. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Chronicle Headlines. You can check out all of these stories and more in our print edition, available on campus, on our website at columbiachronicle.com, and our additional coverage on social media. We are at CC Chronicle on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat, and The Chronicle on Facebook and YouTube. Chronicle Headlines is made possible with the collaboration of our staff of the Columbia Chronicle and WCRX-FM, Chicago's Underground, and the leadership of the Communications Department of Columbia College Chicago, Suzanne McBride, Chair. Chronicle Headlines is produced and hosted by Blaze Mesa, Kendall Palladori, and Yasmin Shika.